This episode of She Explores is brought to you by OtterBox. You might be most familiar with their phone cases, for Android and iPhones alike. But did you know they have a whole outdoor line to help fuel both your everyday and extraordinary adventures? OtterBox's durable hard and soft coolers and tumblers help keep your food and drinks cold. I recently took my Venture 45 cooler out to the beaches of Whidbey Island in the Pacific Northwest to enjoy some time by the water. With OtterBox, no matter where your adventures take you, to the river or a campsite or your local park, you'll know you have the essentials covered. Because your outdoor experiences don't have to be complicated or intimidating or epic. But with the right gear and an open mind, they're usually fun. Learn more about OtterBox and unroll the outdoors by heading to otterbox.com. This episode of She Explores is also brought to you by Ubiome. Your gut is home to trillions of microbes, about as many as the amount of human cells in your body. Those microbes may affect your health in countless ways. They might help you digest food, manufacture vitamins, improve your mood, or even fight off illness. So you've got a whole world to explore, but is your gut keeping up? You can find out with Smart Gut by Ubiome. SmartGut is a quick and easy at-home test that helps you understand if your gut bacteria are working with you or against you by screening for microbes associated with IBS, IBD, and many other chronic conditions. SmartGut is healthcare provider-ordered and reimbursed by most health insurance. Request your SmartGut test today. Just go to ubiome.com explorers. That's U-B-I-O-M-E dot explorers. And we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. I know before we get started, this episode contains reference to sexual violence. I'm Gail Straub, and you're listening to She Explores. The parallel, I think that's great about both journeys with the big climbs that require a lot of endurance that maybe take years of planning to make happen, all these things, is that you just learn so much about yourself in the whole process. And your mind is equally as important to be trained as your body. This is Georgina Miranda, and the two journeys she's referring to here are entrepreneurship and, for lack of a better word, exploring. She's currently working towards completing the Explorer's Grand Slam, climbing each of the highest peaks on each continent and reaching both the North and South Pole. To date, she's reached the summit of six of these mountains, including Everest. Georgina's company, She Ventures, founded in 2016, her previous company, Altitude 7, and her Explorer Challenge all exist to have a meaningful and measurable impact in the world. And more specifically, a meaningful and measurable impact on women. I really enjoyed my conversation with Georgina because it's about how values guide your work, why it's often necessary to get comfortable with failure, and the ways big mountains take shape in our lives. Where so much of Georgina's work centers around advocating for women, I start off by asking whether she has a sense of where that drive sprang from. One, I, I at the time, I didn't think this was a good thing, but I ended up going to an all-girl high school. <laughs> I went to Immaculate Heart High School in Los Angeles because basically my mother had gone to, and her, all of her sisters had gone to an all-girl high school in Nicaragua. And so when it came time for me to go to high school, there wasn't really given a choice as to where are you going to go to high school. It's like, well, here are all girls schools. Pick which one you're going to go. And then obviously costs came into effect and all those things. I ended up going to Immaculate Heart 
And I would say that the high school experience for me, like, was pretty foundational for how I viewed the world as to, like, what women could do Hmm. going forward. Because, you know, you go to class every day and you're just really focused on your school, on making friends, on the impact you want to have. Not so much some of the other distractions that I might have had had I gone to a co-ed school. And the school was run by the, the nuns that basically, like, were primarily involved in school or like independent, super independent, really promoted you kind of taking in charge of your own destiny and having the impact on the world that you wanted to have. It definitely had a social impact focus. And so I never really thought of just career in terms of just career. It was always like, what's the impact I want to have in the world? Mm. And so that's where it started. And then I think the other fact that I'm starting to be, I guess, more open about is just like my upbringing. My my parents are divorced. My mother's bipolar. And I was brought up in a very traditional Latino Nicaraguan household. And, you know, a lot of the women on my mother's side of the family didn't necessarily go after their dreams. And so, you know, while there was a lot of focus on education that was the focus. It was like, go to school so that you get a good job so that you can support yourself and you can be financially stable. Going, going into another environment, I think as a teenager and seeing like, wow, there's like a whole community of people that are really focused on what's the impact that we're going to have on the world versus like a household that that wasn't even thought about. It just, you saw the striking contrast between the two And yeah, definitely planted a seed that I wanted to be more in the other camp with my life. Did that, like seeing that contrast, did it make you want more for the women in your family? It did, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's still something that I, I mean, I always want more for the women in my family to the state. And, and they're my, one of my cousins actually is an entrepreneur as well. And, it's fun. Our paths are starting to cross a little bit now. So it's not like it's not been done in the family whatsoever. But for the most part, it wasn't. You know, the path was you go to school, you go to more schooling if you can, you get married, you get a good job or get the job first. And then, you know, that's just that was kind of what was kind of ingrained. So so that's what, you know, it's partly what I did. In high school, Georgina knew if she was going to go to college, she'd have to fund it. She earned an academic scholarship to the University of San Diego and moved away from home. I know Georgina as a business-minded entrepreneur, so I assumed it had been her main focus there. Did you study business in undergrad? So my initial intention was I wanted to be a doctor, a doctor focused on international development. So I started off bio major, chem minor. And then by my junior year, I decided to integrate business in and I was going to get a business minor as well. Wow. And as the universe would have it, I was acing my business classes, no problem. (laughs) And like organic chemistry was going to basically make me lose my academic scholarships. So um, advisors, you know, at that point were like, okay, you're really kind of killing it in the business classes. So maybe get the business major so that the scholarship stays and then do the biochem minor 
And if you still want to apply to med school, you can, you know, you just might have to do extra courses on summer or something like that. So I did. So that's how I switched. And I did a lot of internships with doctors and dentists and everything else. And then through that whole course, not that those people discouraged me of like pursuing medicine because I couldn't do it. It was more around what's the impact you want to have in the world Mm -hmm. and your version in your head of like what a physician does day to day is very different than what you can actually do and how long it's going to take you to have the impact that you're hoping to have. And so, yeah, so that's kind of how I transitioned more into business. I was just thinking about how much impact you can have as an entrepreneur, like how much control you have over that impact. Yeah, it's, um, I guess that's the thing. Like you have this autonomy and this freedom to, to take whatever direction you want and have whatever impact you want to have. And with my climbs, I ended up, you know, unintentionally, that was never, well, there was no plan with the climbs. That just, that's, that's a whole other story of its own. And we will get to her expeditions. But for now, the point is that your passions often follow you subconsciously and consciously. Back to Georgina. I ended up fundraising for International Medical Corps and V-Day and um, their programs for women that were survivors of gender-based violence in, in Democratic Republic of Congo primarily, you know, but it was all mental health and physical health care. That was the focus because these places didn't have infrastructure or resources. And, you know, here were two organizations that were really changing the lives of women that, you know, in other words, wouldn't, wouldn't have a chance so my heart's still always been focused on health. And it's funny because I think no matter what I end up doing, it still translates back to that. <laughs> it's funny because I use the word adventure now with so much of the work that, that I do. And I say choose adventure. I say as a way of life. But when you do that, you're also, I also talk about the health benefit of doing that. You know, not just the physical benefit, but the mental benefit of giving yourself time and space to get out of your comfort zone and live a little bit more courageously and find out things about yourself that you wouldn't have otherwise. So it ties back there too. Georgina started choosing adventure in the form of indoor rock climbing and hiking in her mid-20s, mainly as a reaction to an overwhelming workload. I was by then on my second corporate job out of school and I was in grad school at night full time. So my days look like mm, I was basically between work and grad school till about 11 p.m. And I was waking up to get on the road to go to work by like 4, 4.30 in the morning. So for like a year and a half, that was my life. (laughs) <laughs> and I was living in LA and it was just like, I was on the 405 freeway a lot, stuck in traffic. And I was just like, what is, there has to be more to this. This is just crazy. I'm going to lose it. She started off with an indoor rock climbing class. So Saturday mornings, I still had to go to school, but I could go there first. Mm. So I started doing that. And it was like my mental break for the week of like an hour and a half of just being like a kid playing around on a wall. Like I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't care. Like I had no ambition of being like a climber, a rock climber, anything. Mm. I was like, that sounds fun. I'm just going to go do it. (laughs) So, so I did. And then I liked the people in the class because we were all kind of like in the same boat 
we're all stressed and we just need to get <laughs> get out. And around that whole same time, too, is when I was starting to do what I say, like my 30 minutes of back then of movement was just to start walking 30 minutes a day, because back then I couldn't run a mile. Growing up, I was voted most improved in every sport I played. I was that bad. <laughs> but you played. <laughs> I played. I played, but until, until high school, because when I got to high school, I basically couldn't qualify for anything. Georgina tried track and cross country, but struggled to keep up and find joy in sports. She ended up exercising in gyms, but that didn't really translate to outdoor activities. At this point in our conversation, though, she's in her mid-20s and walking 30 minutes a day when she could and wrapping up a climbing class. Spurred on by a friend a year after grad school, Georgina went on her first big hike. He was an avid hiker, and so, like, we went up to Mount Baldy the first time, and uh, I did not make it to the top. I had to turn around. I had, like, an outpatient procedure, like, the previous week, so I wasn't feeling great, and the shoes I'd bought too small, like, ended up losing three toenails. Oh, my gosh. Uh, (laughs) It was just, like, in retrospect, I was like, oh, God, (laughs) and I'm always, like, so grateful to my friend Perry because he was just, like, so sweet about everything. He was like, it's fine. You'll just come back and do it again later. And I was like, yeah, totally. That's, that's what I'll do. And it was like a month later, I went back and I was able to get up there. And that time I went on my own. And so, yeah, and that's in Mount Baldy's in LA. It's a little over 10,000 feet. It's a challenging hike, but doable for anybody that's reasonably fit. And so that was my first like, whoa, there's this thing of, you know, getting up high and you can do that. And um, that was probably the spark of the curiosity. We'll hear about how Georgina went from climbing Mount Baldy to climbing Mount Everest after this. This episode of She Explores is sponsored by Victorious. Victorious brings a fitness studio to you with live group fitness classes that you can participate in from anywhere at any time. Classes are entertaining and challenging with curated music playlists and high production value. Victorious believes in a fun environment that ups the energy and keeps your attention, because if you don't enjoy the process, you'll never achieve what you want out of exercise. If you're like me, committing to a class can be a great motivator, but having to travel and show up at a fitness studio can sometimes be more challenging than the workout. Victorious makes it easy to stay committed, because you can participate from anywhere. I've been a Victorious member for the last few weeks, and that Anywhere component really kicked in last week when I was on vacation on Prince Edward Island. There were way more mosquitoes than I expected, so it was so nice to be able to do yoga inside when I couldn't get out for a walk. We have a special offer exclusive for our listeners. Get one free month of unlimited Victorious fitness classes when you sign up at victorious.com slash explorers. That's victorious.com slash explorers to try Victorious free for one month. It's going to change the way you work out. And we thank Victorious for sponsoring this podcast. We're back. So when you say looking back in retrospect at not being that not being the right day for you to summit Mount Baldy and thinking that, you know, in 2013, you summited Everest. (laughs) Like, is that part of what you look back in retrospect, seeing how far you've, or just what, what's changed in your life? Yeah, I think, you know, 
what I enjoy now about the work that I do, or I try to share with other people is that, you know, some goals just seem like so massive and like, how are you ever going to do this? But they're actually possible if you can break it down and, and focus on what it is that you want. So, you know, from like 2007 till 2013, it was work and climbing and traveling like when I could, like that was the focus. And in that time, Georgina was focused on summiting each of the highest peaks on the seven continents, all to raise money and awareness for gender-based violence. You might be wondering about the catalyst. How does someone go from casually hiking and climbing around L.A. to attempting to summit the highest mountains in the world? You know, I think people are inspired to take action in different ways. For me, it was 2007. I was um, in L.A. looking for a haircut idea in Glamour magazine. (laughs) And instead of the haircut, I found um, an article written by Eve Ensler, who wrote the Vagina Monologues. She had just come back from DRC. And I'll never forget the first line of the article because it said, I just returned from hell. And basically, I was like, where it's hell on earth to be a woman. Mm-hmm. And the article is pretty graphic. Um, and it talks about the attacks against women in a place where basically rape is cheaper than a bullet. And how these women had no access to care. And so she was partnering with one local hospital that's there, Pansy Hospital, which is still there, and Dr. McGuigge. And... She was doing outreach in this article to get support for Pansy Hospital and her organization, which she now has opened a whole center in DRC called City of Joy, which is amazing and graduates um, 80 women every six months through her program to help them reintegrate back Mm -hmm. into everyday life after what they've been through. But I read this and I was just like, I felt so ignorant that somewhere halfway across the world, you know, hundreds of thousands of women were being raped, had been being raped for like a decade, and nobody knew about it. And I was reading about it in Glamour magazine, not a news publication. Yeah. And it was just one of the many different iterations of like the difference between men and women, because if hundreds of thousands of men were being raped somewhere, we would all know about it. We just would. Yeah. And so anyways, that triggered me trying to figure out who was who else was working to support this type of situation. And I found International Medical Corps, which was in Santa Monica, and they're a global humanitarian organization. They work all over the world in like places that, you know, you couldn't even think are possible to get into. They do. Um, They're always the first responders. I asked them for a meeting. They graciously gave me a meeting and I had this crazy idea. I was like, you know, I wanted, I want to do something like you guys are working on programs there and not a lot of people are, um, at the time, not a lot of women had climbed the seven summits. So the highest peak on each continent, I think at that time, like maybe 52 had done it. Wow. And so this is August, 2007. Mm-hmm. And I go, so I, I'm going to go do it <laughs> and I'll pay for my climbs or I'll figure out how to pay for my climbs. And then whatever money we raise goes to you guys. And they're like, okay, you know, um, which then was followed by, we just have one question. And I'm like, yep. And they're like, what have you climbed? And I was like, oh, nothing. <laughs> I haven't climbed anything actually. And so they're like, okay, just like be careful, you know. Um, and I'm always grateful to them because who was I? I was like this <laughs> 26-year-old girl, like woman that like, comes into their office in L.A. Like I didn't have some high profile. I didn't – I was just an average person in Los Angeles that wanted to do something. And they were so supportive of it. 
that it made me believe that I could, I could do it, mm-hmm. you know? And it wasn't even so much about whether you made it to the top or not. It was just like, you're setting this challenge for a bigger purpose. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and you have people behind you that believe you believe in you and that's going to do good in the world. Like go for it. In August, 2007, Georgina started planning and training. The first climb was Mount Rainier in June 2008, and she wasn't able to summit due to a whole host of things, including avalanche warnings. The next month, she flew to climb Mount Alberus in Russia, the highest mountain in Europe. There she met her climbing partner, Pam, and summited the 18,000-plus-foot peak. It feels silly to summarize these climbs, but a whole podcast episode could likely be devoted to each, not to mention the months spent training, saving, and fundraising, all while working full-time. Summoning Mount Albers gave Georgina the boost of confidence she needed to continue. Mount Albers is a little over 18,000 feet, and it's proper snow climb, heavy pack, the whole thing. Mm. And so I was like, okay, so you actually can do this. Now you keep planning the rest of them. Yeah, here we are 10 years later, and the challenge has expanded to try to complete the Explorer Grand Slam, which... If I'm honest, it's what I wanted to initially set out to do from the get-go. But considering I could not run a mile at the time and I didn't know how to ski, (laughs) I thought I would sound like a pretty big, just crazy person (laughs) saying like, oh yeah, I'm going to go do this thing that like no one, like not very many people have done. So I learned how to ski in 2009. And then um, it was probably like mm, three years ago, four years ago, just maybe after Everest, like a year after I came back from Everest the second time that I was like more open that I actually did want to complete the Explorer Grand Slam because by then I had started to get into country skiing and I felt more confident that that'd be a helpful addition to any team I joined because like now I knew what I was doing. To date, less than 60 people globally have completed the challenge. 14 have been women and just one has been a Latina. How do you, and maybe you always were comfortable with this, but like, how do you get comfortable with the failure that is very possible in summoning the tallest mountains in the world? Yeah. um, Well, I had a very good track record. So I started off bad, right? With Mount Mount Rainier not working out and Mount Baldy my first time with the three toenails. (laughs) They didn't, they didn't discourage me though. Like I was like, okay, well, it just wasn't the day. But then once I started going down the path of the mountains that I was trying to reach, I was really fortunate with with weather and like my body cooperating up till I got to Everest 2011. And that was where I think the biggest, the big lesson came in because I was pretty gutted. Like I was pretty devastated after that. Um, why we didn't, well, why I personally didn't summit was because of weather for the most part, and then my body deteriorating. So we got up to camp four, which is at 26,000 feet. And the storm was basically starting to set in and Sherpa guides came around the tents. Like when you get to camp four, you're not really meant to stay there very long. You get there, you rest and you get ready to leave that evening to go for your summit push. And they started coming around in the afternoon, like, Hey, are you guys ready to getting ready to go and I looked out there and I was like I'm not like there's no way like we're gonna die tonight Mm. like this is not a good call like you have to listen to your gut like no matter what 
and I didn't care that I was on an expedition or like whatever, like it's my life. So if I don't think it's a good idea, it's not going to happen. They, they ultimately agreed um, in the end. And there was enough oxygen for us to spend one more night up there because enough of the team had already turned around by that point. And we left the next night, but we were on such low oxygen, like barely any. And while you're in your tent, you might feel fine, but your body's deteriorating. So the minute we left that next night, I had now been at camp for over 24 hours before even being able to go to the summit. I was moving like a snail. Something was wrong. Like I knew something was wrong because I, I mean, I'm slow, but I'm not that slow. By the time I got to the balcony, which is at 27,500 feet, I had semi-collapsed twice, like just like exhaustion. And right at almost at the balcony, I collapsed and I like for a split second lost a little bit of consciousness. You are clipped into your rope. And I had my Jumar, which is a device to clip onto the rope as well. And I kind of was alert enough. Like my face was basically in the snow. I was in the snow and I was like, this is just not, not right. It's not my day. Another team was behind us, maybe one or two teams. And at this point it was just me and my climbing Sherpa because everyone kind of off on their own that night, you know, you can't all necessarily stay together. So these two teams that were behind us passed me. Like they literally just walked over me. One person asked if I was okay. Wow. And so I was like, all right, like this is now every book I've ever read (laughs) of like what happened. So yeah, and um, it was pretty demoralizing, but I made the decision to to turn around. And thank God I did because I got very sick. Like I was basically starting to have hypoxia, which is when your body thinks it's suffocating and it's not getting enough oxygen. And so I found out what really happened to me when I got down to base camp like two days later, but like an hour into my descent, trying to get back to camp four, my whole digestive system like shut down and like everything came out of me like unexpectedly, like just, you know, and it was just like one of those moments that you're like, really universe? Like not, (laughs) it's not enough. I didn't sub it. Now this has to happen, you know, like, and it's a little scary because you really don't know what's happening and you're in a down suit. It's dark. I mean, it was in the middle of the night, like must've been like one in the morning. God knows too. So I made it down to camp four and then tried to deal with the mess that I was in and got down to camp two the following morning, started to get down there. And then the next day after that, down to uh, base camp. And that's when I got to get to the doctors and finding out what had happened to me. And they explained that I basically had had hypoxia and that I was very lucky um, that my body chose to shut down organs that didn't really need to survive Mm. my stomach being one of them because it could have been my lungs my my heart my head you know something else that um could have been fatal and somebody had died the night before so the night that I didn't want to go up like somebody did die of like they got um cerebral edema started taking off their clothes and were on the ropes which was really awful um so yeah so it was really sobering experience, you know, and I was really negative on the way down. I was just like, this is just not how this was supposed to go. And what really kind of snapped me out of it was being in the ER tent at base camp. And um, this man gets brought in and he was brought in by a lot of Sherpa um, that were on his team. And um, I'd gotten to know the ER docs pretty well because I just liked getting to know them. And they're like, Georgina, like you made the right decision. 
like don't ever regret your decision because you get to come back here and no doubt you will like and you get to do this again he's like that guy like he didn't make the same decision and he's gonna lose most of his fingers and toes mm. and he did you know and it was just one of those like okay you know like the mountain's not going anywhere and um, it probably took like the next year to kind of come to terms with everything. I don't think I formally ever accepted it until I went back the second time. I think that's when there was even a sense of gratitude for having the opportunity to go back a second time. And my approach to the mountain was completely different. Did you ever doubt that you would go back? Like, did you ever think this isn't... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, I think that was the most gut-wrenching, like, when I didn't make it. Because it had been such a project to be able to go the first time. You know, like, all the training, the expense, getting time off work. It wasn't an easy thing by any which means. It was, like, five years in the making. And then to it go the way it did. And so when I went back the second time, I went in with like certain commitments to myself. And that was one, if I didn't summit that time, I wasn't going back. Hmm. Like I wasn't going to be one of those people that, you know, like, you know, there's some, there's some things like, and this is where I'm very much like into spirituality and yoga mm. and mindfulness and all these things. And it's, you have to let things that are meant for you be for you. I guess a big difference between 2011 and 2013 is I had very much gotten more into this whole studying of mindfulness and spirituality. Although I was like raised Christian and Catholic, I always believed in God, mm. but um, it's different than focused on the other type of spirituality of like mind and spirit. So I made that commitment to myself that if I didn't make it up the second time, that I was not going back and that there was just going to be a peaceful experience. This wasn't going to be like a, must summit kind of thing, you know, just like, let's just see what the mountain allows you to do this time, you know, what your body allows you to do this time. I didn't go with a big expedition my second time. I met somebody who runs Adventures Global, South African company when I was there in 2011. So Ronnie was amazing and agreed that I could basically go and be part of the team, use, utilize base camp, um, have a climbing Sherpa partner but that I would be able to make, call my own shots on my rotations, on when I was going. And so when I went up for the summit, like, it was just me and my climbing Sherpa partner. Like we weren't with a big group. It was just us. Like we went the day I wanted to go. Weather had been doing different things and there was a lot of, you know, opinions as to which would be the best day. But we went the day that I wanted to go because that was the other issue with the first expedition was I did not agree with the weather window. And I was right. Yeah. This is again where it's like following your gut matters you know and yeah the the part of failure I think was always on my mind throughout that expedition in 2013 like I really hope I don't fail again and it was um, there was a really cool guy from Brazil that was there that I got became really good friends with and one day we were just I don't know chatting at base camp and I was telling him about what happened at 2011 and he's like that happened in 2011. That's not going to happen this time. Like, it's it's fine. You know, and it was just kind of like I had to let go of what had happened that year and just be completely open to what might happen that time. 
And so, yeah, leaving Camp 2, which is when, once you leave Camp 2 for your summit push, that's when you're just going camp by camp up to the to the top, hopefully. I journaled a lot, like, that day leaving prior of just, like, I'm, like, letting go of the outcome. Like, whatever happens now happens. The only thing that I'm committed to is, like, my safety. Like, I come back. That's that's the only thing that needs to, that I definitely need to know that it's going to happen. And obviously that's not a guarantee, but I think you have to make that commitment. And then my other really dear friend I love, um, who's a guide, Vern Tejas, um, we like met up at camp one and he gave me the best advice. He was like, make all your decisions here, hmm. like in a base camp where you have the, you know, you're in the right state of mind to make a decision because as you go higher, like you do lose that sense of ability to make decisions just because of altitude and you're a bit loopy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And hearing you talk about this, like, and how, you know, reading on your, you know, your website on the about page, how you see the parallels between running a business and mountaineering. Um, Just like thinking about that, like making decisions at the base camp, making decisions when you start something versus like, once you keep going and it's kind of spun out of control and then you're just trying to keep up. Um, it, it's just like, it's crazy how many parallels there are. Yeah. I mean, I think you can get obsessed with an outcome, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I've like with the business, I think that's been the other case, you know, if she ventures is live and well, and it's a online offline media platform. And now we've extended to add coaching services as well and consulting as well that celebrate adventure as a way of life. Mm. Um, but you know how my whole journey and as an outdoor uh, entrepreneur started was with my previous company, altitude seven, which I made the decision to close end of last year. Yeah. So for me, it, and it almost felt like that was like Everest 2011 all over again, Mm. you know? And, um, so that took a lot of processing to get to that point and make that decision um, and be in a, in a good place to continue to grow and rebuild what she ventures was, was, and how it was going to be, um, you know, and being flexible as well, like being really clear with my intention for the company and its new version, um, but being flexible and like how we would adjust, you know, along the way. And I think with entrepreneurship, it's a lot like mountain climbing. Like, so if you are climbing big peaks, like you don't necessarily like just go straight from base camp to the summit. You do it in stages Mm. and you go back to base camp or back to a lower camp. And then you go back up because you have to like adjust, like you have to like give your brain time to acclimate and all these things. And so I think it's the same with, with the company, you know, you launch initiatives, you learn, you know, and sometimes you have to go back and pivot and do it again. And you can't get discouraged. You know, you have to kind of look at all those things as lessons and um, keep moving forward. So do you think that mountaineering has helped your philosophy with business? Or um, is it a combination of, you know, your found athleticism and the mindfulness practice that you've cultivated in the last 10 years? Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of like this really beautiful combination of things coming together. You know, I was a management consultant for almost a decade. Um, I had already had another startup. I wasn't a founder. I was a founding team member. Um, so that experience is instrumental, like no doubt. 
in every which way. I think with the climbing, it's taught me a lot more patience, you know, and the Explorer Grand Slam project, for example, has taught me a ton of patience because I thought I was going to be done with it in like three or four years. And here we are 10 years later. The only reason why I'm not done is because now that I started the companies and all my savings and funds went into starting (laughs) companies, um, I need sponsors to finish my last three expeditions. And so that's been a grueling process. Like last year was a great example. A sponsor that had taken me a year and a half to get backed out the week the check was due. Oh, no. Yeah, that was last August. And that was pretty gut-wrenching. I think I cried for like a week. Uh, (laughs) You know, so it's, it's, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I guess last year wasn't the year I was supposed to finish the three, you know, Mm. and I'm still trying. I've been actively trying so I can hopefully go this year and finish by April 2019. But I I can't, nothing to announce at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Yeah, it's taught me a ton of patience, which I think is necessary in business. I think the biggest lesson, I guess biggest eh, contrast maybe between the two is like in business, they tell you a lot to like fail fast. And I didn't necessarily always agree or understand, but now in retrospect, after having one company that I decided to close, is holding on to something for too long. You know, wasn't good. I think you have indicators, just like on a mountain, you might have indicators pretty quick. Is the weather good? Is there avi hazards? You know, mm-hmm. am I healthy? Am I getting enough food? All those things. Like, and you can make decisions pretty, like, good decisions based off those that data. With business, you have to, like, you know, listen mm-hmm. to what your customers are telling you, what the market's telling you, you know, and make decisions from that point versus a passion standpoint sometimes, which... I mean, if, you, if you're a passionate person, you're going to go forever. Yeah. I, you know, this happened when I was talking with Carla, too. Um, I know you're friends with Carla from um, yeah. 52 Hike Challenge. I felt like she was talking to me. Like, <laughs> there's so many, you know, similarities in in building something and the, the amount of, like, emotion that goes into it. And you just have to still have an analytical side to that you need to be able to balance those things yeah um I think the part that's really cool about both journeys both the climbs and and that's why like with with mountaineering I don't call myself a rock climber I actually like if you ask me like my favorite type of like uh, objectives I actually really like things that combine rock and alpine and and mountaineering so like rock climbing to some degree but more like alpine style and and mountaineering Mm. so like the bugaboos parts of the alps because there's some stuff that just like scares the crap out of me i'm like why do i have crampons on in Hmm. snow and rocks like this no this is just (laughs) wrong and um but you know so then it's not so much about i mean it's still about your approach and like your technique to some degree but it's like so many mental barriers to get over and those types of things tend to have a lot more exposure as well. Mm. So um, I, I call them a lot of like fear of God moments where you're just like, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> but it's really cool afterwards, you know, like just to like talk yourself through all those situations. But the, the parallel, I think that's great about both journeys with the big climbs that require a lot of endurance that maybe take years of planning to make happen, all these things is that you just learned so much about yourself in the whole process. 
Mm. you know, and your mind is like equally as important to be trained as your body. And that was the big change for me between 2011 and 2013 was like any mountain I go up now, my mind needs to be so hundred percent clear and present and just aware and open to like whatever may come versus like so fixated on like, it must be this way. Mm. And with the business, you know, it's again, like this journey of discovering what you're able to create and the impact you're able to have for other people. And yeah, finding more ways that you can serve other people is, is really the, the goal. I mean, that's fear to read every little postcard note, mission, vision, anything <laughs> I've ever written in like the last 10 years. It's like, that's, you know, it's, it's always been around impact. And then like just being okay with how you analyze that impact. Because I think sometimes with social media and with everything, your personal amazing thing you're working on could feel like nothing mm. because of social media. Yeah. And you have to block that out. Yeah. Like if you know you're having an impact in other people's lives, great. It doesn't matter if 5,000 people liked it or if one person liked it. It's also the benefit of what I've heard are incredible in-person events that you put on through She Ventures. It's wonderful to just see people shine, you know, in whatever capacity. And I think what makes She Ventures really special is that, one, we welcome everybody, um, whoever wants to come to an event, even though it says she, it's whoever yeah, come. Yeah. And we kick off everything with Adventure Changes Lives, and that's why we're there. And adventure can mean something different to everybody. So I've been more open now, like, I guess on social media or on my blogs or whatever, personal stuff around how adventure sometimes is just like digging deep within yourself. Mm. It's not always on a mountain. It's not always on skiing down some perfect pow. It's like taking a journey to places that you hadn't been to before and accepting maybe things you hadn't accepted before. And so, yeah, our events, sometimes people are like, well, we don't really know what to expect, you know, and you will hear from um, amazing women that are founders, athletes, activists, artists um, in the adventure space, in the health and wellness space, in the activism space. And so um, I do that with the intention that hopefully anybody that comes can resonate with at least one person there. You know, so that's not just this like, okay, we're only going to talk about hiking. We're only going to talk about, you know, skiing or only travel. The She Ventures events are opportunities to meet people and hear stories from people in real life. And Georgina hopes they'll awaken something within the people who attend too. Adventure, in all the forms it takes, changed her life. And because one big change was incorporating movement into her everyday life, they just launched a new initiative called Move 30 Collective to help people do just that. We just launched a new Move 30 Collective uh, initiative. And what that is, is that we're trying to elevate the health and wellness for millions by encouraging 30 minutes of movement of mind, body, or spirit every day. Because um, I truly believe it changes lives. It definitely changed mine. And... You know, it, it's it's something that sounds really simple, but a lot of people say, oh, look, I don't have time, you know, all these things. 
Um, the reality is that one in four people in the world don't get the amount of required exercise that's stated that is required by, you know, Department of Health. That's a lot of people. Um, and really what it boils down to is five minutes of 30, five, five days a week, 30 minutes of low impact exercise or 75 minutes a week of high intensity exercise. So if you do the five days a week, 30 minute low impact, that still gives you two days that hopefully you can focus on the mind and spirit because just whether it's been through she ventures or as a management consultant, I've just seen and come across so many people that are just like entirely burnt out, um, or just exhausted, you know, or just so focused on like goal setting or where they're not versus where they are. And life is short. Like it's meant to be enjoyable and fun. And so what we're hoping to do is that this is approachable, that it's fun. It's how do you integrate this into your everyday life? Um, what are little changes you can make to just add more movement? And we know that that's going to make happier and healthy people, that their mental being is just going to be better. You know, you're going to be better for yourself, for your family, for your community, for your company, all of those things. And so we're really excited about that. And, um, yeah, I hope to bring that message to life again through throughout the rest of the She Ventures events this year. Um, we still have a lot of events. We're going to be announcing dates for our events in the next week or so for the rest of the 2018 events. And, yeah, we've expanded, which is really cool. We started off with six events in 2016. And this year we'll end up with at least 12. Nice. Um, maybe more. And... Um, and, and globally too, right? So we've been in North America, primarily US and Canada, but we're excited to do some in Europe as well, in the UK, to continue sharing that message. Adventure can be a way you live, not just something you do. And um, I think it really changes how you live your life going forward. Scour the calendar for a She Ventures event near you by heading to sheventures.co. Head to move30collective.com to learn more about the Move 30 Challenge and find out more about Georgina via her website, georginamiranda.com. I'll list all these links and more via our show notes. I briefly mentioned 52 Hike Challenge and Carla Amador in our conversation. Her episode also talks about entrepreneurship and is episode 69, One Step at a Time. We featured several entrepreneurs on the show. I'll list a few of them on our episode landing page via she-explores.com. Thank you to our sponsors, Otterbox, Ubiome, and Victorious. One of the ways you can show support for this podcast is by checking out our sponsor links. Head to ubiome.com explorers and victorious.com explorers to learn more. If you enjoy listening to She Explores, please take the time to review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It'll help other people find us. And even better, share She Explores with a friend. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, so make sure to tag us so we'll see it. If you enjoy She Explores, you'll probably enjoy our sister podcast, Women on the Road. Hosted by Laura Hughes, it's filled with stories of honest experiences of life on the road from the women who've lived it firsthand. Until next week, catch up with us in our She Explores podcast Facebook group. 
There we talk about recent episodes, give each other advice, and share resources and more stories about our time in the outdoors. Just this week, a listener shared her first solo backpacking experience. It was so fun to see. Music is by Lee Rosevere, Kay Engel, and Josh Woodward, using a Creative Commons Attributions license. Music is also by The Mariner. Until next week, have fun out there. <laughs>